she was the baddest. She was the chemist. In a man's world, one woman is fighting to continue her groundbreaking research and gain her seat among great minds in her field. Unfortunately, she is repeatedly degraded and dismissed by mentors and colleagues who see her as nothing more than a gorgeous waste of space. Things change, however, when she meets a champion and falls in love. Their chemistry is undeniable, but so is their inevitable tragedy. Our baddie of the beakers, chemist Elizabeth Zott. Our book, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's, Let's get, get lit. Hey, this is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how are you? I am doing well today. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I don't um, know. I don't what, know what what's you... happening over here. <laughs> are you ready to get into our book? Would you call it a romance? What, what would you call this book? You know, I don't even know. I mean, yes, there is romance. Right. And I was driven by the romance, but... That's but it. the novel wasn't, right? It's interesting. No. Yeah. Well, you guys, each week, readers, we choose a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And this week, our theme is five surprising facts about chemistry. Now. Oh, come on, I'm excited. <laughs> Alexis, has chemistry ever interested you? Were no, you ever interested no. in science? I repeat, mm-hmm. no. But let me just tell you this. On these shows in England... They always have this like chemistry aspect to it. Oh, come uh-huh. on. And <laughs> they were really interesting shows because I was like, oh, I don't know nothing about chemistry. But I turned it turns out I do. And I thought that was fun. So but no, I don't care about chemistry. Alexis is over there watching uh, Jim Nye, the science guy, talking about, oh, this is how we do in England. Anyway, let's move on. So here are five surprising facts about chemistry. Fact number one, this one is a little nerdy. However, the nerds will actually have already known it. I did not. The periodic table is more than a list of elements. It's actually a predictor predictor of elements not yet discovered also. So there are over 118 known elements on the table and the table's organized to predict the behavior of unknown elements and compounds. In fact, it continues to evolve as science advances, even to this day. Also, all the elements above the atomic number 94 were never discovered in nature. They had to be uh, created in a lab. So they're synthetic elements, Um, but they could create those elements knowing how those elements would behave based on the periodic table. So that's just fact one. We'll leave that there. Don't worry, guys. I don't find that interesting either. Uh, Fact number two, diamonds are not (laughs) diamonds are not forever. Like anything made of carbon, which is basically everything, diamonds burn. If strongly heated in the presence of oxygen, the gem will transform into carbon dioxide gas. And this is not a fast process by any means but it's possible so you know when he make you really mad burn that diamond fact number three i don't know who that affects though i mean don't do that y'all don't do that yeah that don't do make that sense. that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be really mad when it don't burn you're gonna be like exactly. it's just made of fact number three 
Bananas are radioactive. Now, a lot of us know this, but natural radiation in food does not require any special action because the radiation levels are extremely low. However, yes, bananas contain a radioactive isotope. So that's fun. So what does that mean? Yeah, it'll blow up. You know, if you ever throw a banana on the ground, get out the way. Fact number four. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Go on, go on. Owning the night like the 4th of July is not what makes a firework. Katy Perry lied to us. The colors (laughs) and fireworks are actually the result of burning metals. So copper burns blue, titanium burns white. You knew that already? Yeah. Sodium burns yellow. And also these elements have nothing to do with the sound and light. Uh, related to fireworks those are actually produced with aluminum powder so when they go bam bam they shooting fact five (laughs) one of the (laughs) oldest known chemical recipes is for can you guess no beer among the best known examples are those found in the sumerian hymn to ninkasi dating to roughly 1800 bc and it was a beer recipe in the form of a poem they were like thanking their goddess for this beer (laughs) they was really loving on that beer um the text praises a beer goddess for soaking malt in a jar and so there's that those are like five quick surprising facts about chemistry it's the best i could do this week y'all you ready to take a break well, yeah, I love those surprising facts. I did not know that um, bananas blow up. Yeah, they okay. will come. Yes, they are dangerous. I've never seen that before. I want somebody to show me. I'm going to have to YouTube that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Let's take a break. Can you please give us some background on our author, Bonnie Garmus, and perhaps her inspiration for uh, lessons in chemistry? Yes, yes, let's do this. Okay, so Bonnie is a copywriter and a creative director who has worked in technology, medicine, and education. She's an open water swimmer, a rower, and a mom. She is currently living in London with her dog, 99. <laughs> Lessons in Chemistry is her debut novel and was published in 2022. Um, the novel is being adapted for television. Bonnie had a few things to contribute um, her inspiration for writing this book. One was leaving a meeting in a bad mood and she decided it was time to put pen to paper, she said. And she sat down and felt like Elizabeth was there and she began to write her first chapter. Oh, I love that. Another inf- inspiration for Garmus was rereading Betty Friedan's 1963 classic, The Feminine Mystique. Are you familiar with that book? No. Are you? Were you? No, not uh-huh. at all. Um, and that prompted memories of her mom and inspired her novel setting. She said, I could remember these housewives having to do so much work and take care of so many kids and it was never recognized as work. As a mother of two daughters, she wanted to write something that had resonance for women today. 
Um, She said, it occurred to me that my daughters weren't going to have the same job opportunities or be paid the same as men. And they would always, always have to walk home looking over their shoulder. And that's still true in every corner of the world today. You know, just footnote, my husband went to um, a concert downtown and took the green line home by himself. And I thought, wow, to be a man or sometimes I'll um, be out at night and see men jogging in the street at night. Wow. I used to take the train home at night. Yeah, but you crazy. I'm talking about people (laughs) who know that the odds are in their favor. (laughs) That's true. They do. They have privileges we do not have for Mm -hmm. sure. And it's interesting that Bonnie is not a chemist. Yeah, no, she said she had to um, do her own research. She actually read um, a chemistry textbook. Yeah, I admire that. All right, is that all you have on Bonnie for us? And that is all I have on Bonnie. Okay, can you please give us a brief spoiler-free synopsis of this book, Lessons in Chemistry? Sure. At a time when misogyny is served for breakfast, Elizabeth Zott, a chemist, is asked to follow the blueprint and host a cooking show to appeal to audiences afternoon needs. But instead she carves her own vision. Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? I love how your synopsis is nothing like mine from the top of the show. <laughs> and that's because this book is like a few stories uh, all oh, centered around one protagonist. Yeah, it's true. Um, And I think if you love that, if you love how one character can actually take you to three different stories that are all tied together and related, um, something like Anxious People by Frederick Bachman comes to mind, um, then I think you'll love this book or perhaps you'll be interested in it, I should say. And Alexis, what made you choose Lessons in Chemistry for our show? Okay, so I was browsing a a book email that I received and this book Mm -hmm. was listed. It had an interesting title and synopsis. So I decided to add it to my um, reads list. And yeah, so that's that's it. Yeah, a a well-known celebrated author actually messaged us and was like, yeah, you're reading Lessons in Chemistry so I can decide if I need to read it. (laughs) Uh So it's on the top of a lot of people's list right now. Um, Yeah, Yeah, great choice. Yeah, so it's a um, it's a relatively new book. It came out last year, right? Mm-hmm. So, so are you I had spoil some, it. Yeah, I am going to spoil it. Unfortunately, there were the way the story is told. I have to spoil some things. Yes. So I pick. I chose a path, however, and I'm going to take that path. So, and I'm not going to focus on the other stuff around it. Oh, understood. Okay, so you're going to focus on one uh, plot point and give all the spoilers for that, but maybe leave some mystique around other points. Um, I'll say even in the opening flap of the book, which I did not read, which I guess I'm against reading, there's a major spoiler there, which I appreciated not knowing until I started reading the book. So without further ado, Alexis. Yeah. Alexis, are you ready to begin our deep dive into Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie? Gamus. Well, why not? <laughs> Let's get started. And it will have spoilers. It's 1961, November, and Madeline Zott's 31-year-old mother has made her lunch for school before she leaves her work. The lunch always includes um, a note for her daughter, like, fuel for learning. Play sports <laughs> at recess, but do not automatically let the boys win. It's not your imagination. Most people are awful. 
<laughs> now, how old would you think this child is getting these notes? Yeah, at least 10, right? At, <laughs> at the very least. Well, everybody, while most five-year-olds couldn't read, Madeline had been reading since the age of three. She was five. These notes her mother left, um, she'd store in the shoebox. She'd take them out of her lunchbox, store them in the shoebox, and put them in the back of her closet so she could pretend to be like the other kids. Illiterate. <laughs> Madeline wanted to fit in. Her mom, Elizabeth Zott, was a in this was the indisputable star of the show Supper at Six. So how did this come to be? Let our story begin. And she also Listen. ends with a great line here. She's like, I want to fit in because my mother is proof that when you don't fit in, bad things happen to you. Ooh. And then you're like, ooh, what's going to happen to the mama? Exactly. <laughs> um, Elizabeth Zott wasn't average and she didn't look average. She was um, a research chemist once. And one day she noticed her daughter's clothes were hanging off of her from her calculations. Elizabeth, the chemist, she knew that she was giving her daughter enough food. So there's no reason why her clothes should be falling off. So she decided, let me think about this. There's got to be a sensible reason. And then she saw this little girl. Her name was Amanda Pine. And she had... um. Tomato sauce. Tomato sauce on her lips. She was like, I see it. Tomato sauce that Elizabeth made for her daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, Elizabeth would call Amanda Pine's father, who was Walter Pine, um, for three days with no response. So she just said, I'm going to stop in his old office, okay? Mr. Pine was a TV producer, longtime TV producer. So she charged him up. She was like, um, buddy, hey, could you stop it? Your daughter is eating my food. She um, eating my daughter's food. Yeah. Yeah. Eating her daughter's food. And she's offering friendship under false pretenses. And I don't like it. And you need to make your own daughter's lunches. <laughs> this is the same conversation your mama had with my mama at one point. <laughs> like your daughter is eating all of our food. Do you not cook in your own house? <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. You know, that's not true. Because I know my sisters was at your house eating and I had been there many times. So it was a community situation. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. So Mr. Pine was kind of confused and stunned by her. Uh, he didn't expect her to show up there once, but then she had this look that was so um, alarming. He could see that she was perfect for TV. <laughs> so he was like, um, are you here to interview for something? She's <laughs> he's like, not listening no. to nothing she's saying. No, he is not listening because he's so taken in by her presence. Right. Well, anyway. She was like, don't make any excuses. I know you're divorced. I called your house and I was told <laughs> the woman lives in another state. So, but that's not an excuse for making, not making lunches. So you need to make lunches because I can't make lunches for your daughter and my daughter. And I can't teach the nation how to cook. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
four weeks later, she was debuting her new show. Now, this is isn't the line of work she aspired to. She had to do it. She needed money to feed her kid and to provide for herself. So Elizabeth was different. Her show was different from the other cooking shows. She was serious. She never smiled. She never made jokes. Her dishes were honest and down to earth. And within six months, the show was a rising star. Within a year, an institution. Within two years, the show was uniting parents, children, and citizens of their country. In fact, the vice president even watched her show telling a reporter they ought to write less and watch Supper at Six. He said that Zot knows what she is doing. (laughs) Elizabeth ended her show with children set the table. Your mother needs a moment to herself. But you know what happens when you're a woman and you're really good at something. Someone does something to undermine your abilities. And that's where an article comes in called, Wyle Will Eat Whatever She Dishes Out, from a prominent reporter. In his article, he referred to Elizabeth as Luscious Lizzie. And that stuck. So like strangers on the street would refer to her as that. That's icky, right? Mm -hmm. It made Elizabeth feel ashamed. She was a chemist. Now she's being reduced to luscious Lizzie. Mm. She wondered how her life came to this. But she already knew the answer. It was Calvin Evans. Let's flash back 10 years to 1952. Calvin Evans worked at Hastings Research Institute, just like Elizabeth Zapp. Calvin, however, had a track record of success under his belt. By 19, he had contributed critical research that helped the British chemist clinch a Nobel Prize. That's a big deal. He contributed. Mm -hmm. Okay. By 22, he discovered a faster way to synthesize simple proteins. Okay. By 24, Exciting. he had a scientific breakthrough <laughs> that put him on the cover of Chemistry Today. He authored 16 scientific papers, received invites to 10 international conferences, and had even been offered a fellowship at Harvard twice. Okay, Mm -hmm. he was qualified enough to turn him down. No, (laughs) (laughs) what? You don't think that's That's true? That's not why. That's not why he turned him down. No. So (laughs) you gotta let me finish my story. I say he was qualified (laughs) to turn him down, and that is true. He was qualified to turn him down. He wanted to turn him down. He was holding a grudge against. Harvard because they rejected his freshman application 10 years earlier. He was a petty man that no one liked and all he loved was science. And what's the point? <laughs> he's not a looker. He's he's just smart. <laughs> what does that have to do with him turning down 
<laughs> a Harvard he's not qualified to turn them down. He turned them down because he he's qualified petty. because he has a background. They wanted him. They, he, he, was he was qualified to speak. He was qualified for the fellowship. He turned them down because he petty. He turned him down because he was petty, but also he could. <laughs> he was qualified. Okay. And thus qualified. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Yeah. All right. To say the least, Calvin was a brilliant man, but he had flaws. As I mentioned, he holds grudges. He He's was not impatient. A oh, why are you digging into this man's looks? We'll get to that, okay? <laughs> um, and he didn't understand why people didn't just get it. He was an introvert, and that manifested itself as standoffishness. So he really didn't have friends. He was a ro- ro- rower. He rode crew. <laughs> And rowers weren't fun. And he had a passion for rowing just as much as he had a passion for chemistry. And like Kari said, he wasn't a looker. Okay. He had these large gray eyes. He had messy blonde hair and he had purplish lips that were always <laughs> swollen because he was biting them. And they was like, uh, he be, his lips would be bleeding, y'all. He had dopey eyes. He'd look down <laughs> when he talked to you. And uh, he was probably greasy. And he this was tall is a and serial lanky. killer. <laughs> yeah. a serial killer. And he was tall and lanky. <laughs> and he slouched to the right side. And they said his. Quasimodo. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought of. But he was tall. Yeah. Oh, a tall Quasimodo. That's terrifying. <laughs> he said, they said he had below average. Facial composition. <laughs> uh, his best feature were his teeth, which redeemed yeah. his face when he smiled. Yeah. You ever meet an ugly person with great teeth? You'll be like, hold on now. Is you fine? <laughs> and then they get mad and you'll be like, no, you're not. And then they start laughing. you like, well, maybe. I don't know, bro. <laughs> the teeth will confuse you. Listen, so one day Elizabeth walks into Calvin's lab. She's like, I need to speak with whoever's in charge. And she walked right past all the warning signs like do not enter, experiment in progress, keep out, no admittance, all of that. She ignored it. And when she get in there, the music is loud and blaring and... um. She's like, you know what? Let me turn this down. And Calvin is like, excuse me, excuse me. Did you see the signs? Did you see the signs? And she's like, oh, this is better. Now we can hear each other. Listen, I need some beakers. And um, you, you, yeah. Here's a form. Read this because I'm taking these beakers. He was like, wait a minute, little lady. I know this is above your knowledge and input, but let me talk to your boss because you are not qualified to talk to me and you can't have my beakers because I need every single one of them. That's what he said. She, of course, is offended, goes off, grabs the beakers and exits stage left. Big time. She's over it. (laughs) Over a week later, Calvin enters Elizabeth's cramped lab. She shares it with like 20 other chemists. Yeah, she doesn't have all this space that he has Mm -hmm. or the equipment. None of it. Um, And she's like, I'm busy. She kind of blows him off. Well, she does blow him off. And so he like waited for her. You know, when somebody's like, I'm busy and you expect them to 
finish doing what they're doing and then turn to <laughs> talk to you. Yeah, she didn't do true. that. <laughs> she left the room, came back. She was like, you still here? <laughs> she went to the bathroom. Yeah. She did multiple things. Like she was mad ignoring him. And she was like, you can't have your beakers back when she did see him. She was like, Ugh, you can't have him back. That's a thing. He told her he came to apologize. He also tried to invite her to lunch, maybe dinner. Can I apologize? She was like, you don't have to do that. Also, you're getting on my nerves. So Calvin left. Do not enter. Experiment in progress. No admittance. Keep out. Then she opened the door. Hello? She called over Frank Sinatra, who was blasting from a hi-fi that sat incongruously in the middle of the room. I need to speak to whoever is in charge. Calvin, surprised to hear a voice, poked his head out from behind a large centrifuge. Excuse me, miss, he called, irritated, a large pair of goggles shielding his eyes from whatever was bubbling off to his right. But this area is off limits. Didn't you see the sign? I did, Elizabeth yelled back, ignoring his tone as she made her way across the lab to switch off the music. <sighs> there, now we can hear each other. Calvin chewed his lips and pointed. You can't be in here, he said. The signs. Yes, well, I was told that your lab has a surplus of beakers. And we're short downstairs. It's all here, she said, thrusting a piece of paper at him. It's been cleared by the inventory manager. I didn't hear anything about it, Calvin said, examining the paper. And I'm sorry, but no, I need every beaker. Maybe I'd better speak with a chemist down there. You tell your boss to call me. He turned back to his work, flipping the hi-fi back on as he did. Elizabeth didn't move. You want to speak to a chemist? Someone other than me? She yelled over Frank. Yes, he answered. And then he softened slightly. <sighs> Look, I know it's not your fault, but they shouldn't send a secretary up here to do their dirty work. Now, I know this might be hard for you to understand, but I'm in the middle of something important. Please just tell your boss to call me. Elizabeth's eyes narrowed. She did not care for people who made assumptions based on what she felt were long outdated visual clues. And she also didn't care for men who believed, even if she had been a secretary, that being a secretary meant she was incapable of understanding words beyond type this up and triplicate. What a coincidence! She shouted as she went straight over to a shelf and helped herself to a large box of beakers. I'm busy too! Then she marched out. More than 3,000 people worked at Hastings Research Institute. That's why it took Calvin over a week to track her down. And when he finally did find her, she seemed not to remember him. Yes, she said, turning to see who had entered her lab. A large pair of safety glasses magnifying her eyes, her hands and forearms wrapped in large rubber mitts. Hello, he said. It's me. Me? She asked. Could you be more specific? She turned back to her work. Me, Calvin said. Five floors up. You took my beakers. You might want to stand back behind that curtain, she said, tossing her head to the left. We had a little accident in here last week. You're hard to track down. Do you mind? 
she asked. Now I'm in the middle of something important. He waited patiently while she finished her measurements, made notations in her book, re-examined yesterday's test results, and went to the restroom. You're still here? she asked, coming back. Don't you have work to do? Tons. You can't have your beakers back, so you do remember me. Yes, but not fondly. I came to apologize. No need. How about lunch? No. Dinner? No. Coffee? Listen. Elizabeth said, her large mitts resting on her hip bones. You should know you're starting to annoy me. Calvin looked away embarrassed. I sincerely beg your pardon, he said. I'll go. After Calvin leaves, the person in charge of ordering supplies, he sees Calvin and he's like, oh, you got the beakers from him. This, she was like, listen, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I got the beakers from him. Um, and it's okay. They're, no, like, they're terrified. They're like, you have no idea who you mess with and you yeah. put us all in jeopardy. We hate all you. Of us. We on your team and we hate you. <laughs> Literally. For the equipment we need from this very powerful man. <laughs> right. So like the next day when she's in the office, the beakers that she got are gone and all the people are mean mugging her. And, um, they even start talking about her in a bad way. And not just talking about her like she oversteps her bounds. Why is she so pushy? They're like, she's a loose woman. She's easy. It's stuff like just sexist, obviously. And the yeah, women and getting in on it, too. They like happy to do it, too. Also that. Also that mm-hmm. they're all contributing to this um, attitude and negative input. And lies, slander. Yeah. And specifically, her boss is engaged in this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the name calling causes her to flash back to when she was first called such a name that implied she was loose. Oh, it's the C word. Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't know it was that old. Because, you know, not all cultures use that word. Yeah. I just learned Like in the last three years, I just learned it. I got to say sometime during the pandemic. Maybe people was calling me that. I was just like, huh? I thought they were saying, huh? And I was going, huh? We was just going, huh? To each other in my mind. I don't know. I was like, why is that offensive? What is, what, wait, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Not. I still barely know. Don't look it up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> it's a thing. It's it's old. Anyway, so nearly, so then she kind of tells us a story. So nearly 10 years ago, her doctoral program path was interrupted when she was assaulted by her UCLA advisor. And because he was seen as important, they prepared a story, packaged it up nice, and booted her out of school. She well, got all she, the consequences for his terrible actions. Yeah. Which felt real. Even the police officer was like, do Oof. you want to recant your story? Ooh. And she's like, what? Like she is bleeding in the face and yeah. probably elsewhere. And, she, and no one is feeling sorry for her. They just want her to disappear as if she's the problem. And this yeah. isn't even like the first time this uh, professor did this to one of his female students. Everybody so knows real. the story yeah. that is created is false. 
And, get and another thing that's actually really real about this part is um, the university loves the professor because he publishes a lot of papers, but he's not writing the papers. He's having his students write it. He'll change one or two things and then he publishes it, it under his name alone. So he's getting a big name for himself and the university off of other people's back. And while he's doing all that, he's also a uh, pervert and um, I mean, a a predator. He's a rapist. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So she had her master's. She has her bruises that would heal. And then someone would write her a recommendation. Um, so then she gets a job at Hastings Research Institute. Um, and she's listening to her colleagues and boss demean her. That's... um. So this brilliant woman is actually on the verge of a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And the only place that will allow her to work on her craft is Hastings. Um, So she has nowhere else to go to do her job because no one else is really trying to hire her. Right. (sighs) Two weeks later, she's at the opera. Um, She's by herself (laughs) and she realizes she doesn't really like it. So she's like, I'm in a live. It's all (laughs) the things that I hate. So I'm out. Interestingly, this Calvin Evans was there too, and he's on a date with a secretary from the biology department. Okay. And for some reason, he is sick to his stomach. I think it's her perfume. You can have that reaction. It says, obviously, is not good for her, his insides. So she like, to I don't know what's wrong with you, but I'm I've got on my best dress and I'm wearing it all night. So you just sit there and be sick. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> he gets up. She but did. I felt for her. Like, if you had let me know, I wouldn't have put on my clothes. <laughs> Shout out to Aaliyah. <laughs> Listen. Okay. <laughs> He get up and go. He got to go. He got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and at the same time, he Elizabeth, holding his mouth and his butt. He, <laughs> he running out of there like, buh, 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 buh. yeah, it's rough. So Elizabeth is <laughs> leaving at the same time. Um, she kind of turns around from where, wherever she is. She's headed one direction and she turns around more quickly and runs smack dab into Calvin. And he lets it all go. He vomits on Elizabeth. He chucks all over her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you he know ap- he don't eat nothing but lunch meat and crackers, so it's gross. <laughs> Not lunch meat and crackers. Anyway, <laughs> he, of course, is apologetic. She helps Calvin home. He apologizes not only for vomiting on her, but for assuming she was a secretary. They become fast friends. Uh-huh. They are colleagues. Like, this is the first time they get to have really, like, between the bo- two of them, I think they both comment that they're able to have this excellent exchange of ideas of, um, like, they get each other. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's like the first time they have a friend that they can connect with Exactly. Because both yeah. of these people are truly very awkward um, mm-hmm. and don't take on friends very easily. Mm-hmm. Um. But within that, they're like determined to show each other that they're the least attracted to each other. Mm -hmm. So that's funny. (laughs) But their attraction for each other is growing. 
And, to and find they do my favorite day. thing in a love story. One of them just kisses the other. In she real life, him. this is the creepiest thing you can do to somebody. Uh, you call their name and just kiss them. That is the scariest thing, the creepiest thing you can ever do to someone. But in books, Wait, it is romantic. Do <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in books, it oh, works. Maybe so. It's like, oh, chemistry is kissing it. Chemistry, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So now they like this power couple that everyone at their job hates. They hate their <laughs> happiness. They hate their love. They hate everything about this couple. They everything. hate that this beautiful woman is with this ugly, brilliant man that they're also jealous of because of his mind. And they like, she probably stealing all her, his work. That's why they together. It's mm-hmm. sad, petty She's people. trying to use it to come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so the couple talked about everything, like all the things you could talk about except like family and stuff. <laughs> and then with the holidays approaching, um, Calvin is like, mm, I'm going to go to a Thanksgiving dinner with her and her family. So let me <laughs> ask now. Well, it turns out <laughs> Elizabeth don't mess with her family. She like and he doesn't have one because he's an orphan. Yeah, she's like her father was a god salesman who's now in yeah. jail because he didn't pay his taxes. Mm-hmm. Her mama moved to Brazil because started a new family. <laughs> no extradition laws, and mm-hmm. she started a new family. Um, her only sibling committed suicide because their father convinced him God hated him because he was mm-hmm. a homosexual. And Calvin's parents died when he was five. They were hit by a train. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> was then raised by his aunt who died. It she, is a series of unfortunate events. Exactly. That title. She had a heart attack. <laughs> While they were both in the car, the car jumped the curb and slammed into a tree. Insane. Mm -hmm. So he was sent to a Catholic boy's home because Calvin had lost so many loved ones to death and accidental death. Um, He felt like death followed him. And so in this relationship with Elizabeth, he uh, I was worried about her that something would happen to her that maybe she too would die mm-hmm. so he would do little things to try to keep her alive unbeknownst <laughs> to her you take away certain opportunities that he felt like might endanger her life things like that mm-hmm. so during lunch one day in the Hastings cafeteria the happy couple was enjoying lunch today. Now, Elizabeth, as we know, she has a cooking show. Not at this time, but we learned that she's a cook. She cooks well. She bakes. She does all the things that the ladies should be doing if they wanted men at this time. <laughs> and the people at the other table, the hater table, they is like, she cooks too. She bakes. <laughs> it's really weird. But they are really (laughs) hating on them. So the haters are saying they're using each other, him, her more than him, of course. Um, 
They don't think he'll marry her. But Elizabeth starts talking about this wedding she's going to be in. He's like, you got a friend? (laughs) (laughs) And she soon realizes, no, just someone at work needed a bridesmaid to fit into this dress that her actual friend was going to wear but can't make it. Exactly. So, but... Calvin was excited about the idea of the wedding because he thought it would put her in the mood to want to marry. It would give mm-hmm. her the warm fuzzies about maybe her and Calvin. But no, <laughs> Elizabeth is like, I, I, I don't want to get married. I just, it's not what I want. And she says that she doesn't want to get married because she feels a woman's identity is erased when they're married and she wants to keep her name. She once told her mom that she wasn't getting married because she wanted to be a scientist, a successful woman scientist. Don't get married. Mm-hmm. Her mother laughed at her. And I think she was just determined to prove her mother wrong. Her mother told her that no woman says no to marriage, especially when you see the ring. So, <laughs> Calvin knew her stance, but they sitting at the lunch table and he pop out a ring, a little blue box. He was like. <laughs> yeah, they literally. have had the conversation about marriage and kids and she's been very pers- consistent in that she doesn't want that. But he's like, maybe she do. <laughs> That's all. He's just like, maybe you do. Yeah. With maybe me, you really we do. met each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just open the box. Just look at the ring. And she was like, I can't look at the ring. I won't do that. Because it ain't my ring. <laughs> so then yeah. the people at the table are like watching this go on. It was like, yeah. oh, my God, this is terrible. But then she don't take the ring. So they're like, yay. They're going to be They don't know what up. to think. <laughs> Yeah, because the women are like, they need her off the market because she is too beautiful. So and the men are like, she probably just using him, trying to marry him and spend all his money. He ain't even got no money. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) when they're watching this proposal and she declines, no one really knows what to think. But they come up with more negativity Mm -hmm. quickly. Yep. Yep. Again, she didn't want to lose her identity. Not her name. Um, They looking on in horror. (laughs) whatever is happening is going on but then they start kind of fighting about it but not really fighting about it and then Calvin is like but I really wanted to marry you I wanted us to become a family I wanted us to be a threesome I mean no a family of three correction (laughs) a family of three and then he was like give me my box back because I don't want to marry you anyway with your stinking self And Calvin tells Elizabeth, (laughs) listen, if you just listen, I want us to get a dog together. Enter 630. So one (laughs) evening on her way home from the local deli, she was getting dinner. She wasn't cooking tonight. A mangy, smelly little dog watches Elizabeth walk by and decides to follow her. As Calvin eyes her from the window, he can see the dog following her. And he's like overcome with this feeling that Elizabeth Zott 
she gonna change the world. She gonna be somebody. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> so when he asked Elizabeth, who's her little friend, she looked at her watch and said 630. And that's the dog's name is 630. They cleaned him up. They put ads in the paper, but Calvin already knew 630 didn't have another owner. 630 learned um, stay within three weeks, and then he learned five other words. And Elizabeth knew that 630 had the ability to learn, and he picked up things quickly. And she was right. 630 was trained to be a canine bomb sniffer, and he failed because he didn't like the sound of loud noises. Mm-hmm. So when he failed, his handler drove him to the highway and dumped him in the middle of nowhere. Um, two weeks later, he was being shampooed up by Elizabeth. Okay. So Calvin would take 630 to his lab and no one would dare comment. I mean, they would say it, but he was like, so he mm-hmm. got to do what he wanted to do. 6.30 was very attentive to Elizabeth as he realized she had suffered in the past and he was determined that she should never suffer again. Elizabeth sensed the same in 6.30. I mentioned previously that Calvin was a rower. He would invite Elizabeth to row with him. Um, they would create a pair as he kind of trained her. And then after several sessions of her falling out and in the water, he realized that she couldn't swim, even though she didn't say she couldn't swim. So that was scary for him. Well, anyway, he explained to Elizabeth that rowing was a matter of physics. So she studied, she skimmed a, a physics book and then she became quite skilled. And then they would join um, an eight-person row team. That's how that went down. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, both Calvin and Elizabeth work for a man named Donati. And he's like, Elizabeth and a Calvin, he hates them individually, but he hates them even more together. So he's moved Elizabeth off a couple of projects because he's, um, well, I think they moved her off one because she took his beakers initially. And then another one because I think he's just evil. <laughs> anyway, the married, though married this Donati guy, he wanted to take Elizabeth away from Calvin just to humiliate her. And Calvin, too. He was really a low-down, dirty man. But once Calvin had learned that Donati had taken assignment from her behind Elizabeth's back, he went to talk to Donati. And so Calvin's thinking he's going to help her, but there was already a, a request for her skills for research already. So his conversation didn't really do anything because it was going to happen anyway. But Donati would like throw that in her face. 
Um, and so when the work came back to her, the assignment came back to her, she asked Calvin if he had anything to do with it. And he was like, uh-uh, nothing at all. He lied. Liar. <laughs> anyway, so one morning, Calvin took 6.30 out with him on his morning run in Snare Police Station. And he slips and falls, hitting his head on the pavement. After he falls, he is then rolled over by a police car and he dies. Of course, Elizabeth is distraught. It's hard to be at home, so she goes to Calvin's lab with 630. Um, the people are like nice, but they only want to they want her to be at home. They don't want her to be in the office with all her sadness. It's too much for them. And they can't really provide what she needs. So it's like, ugh. So then there's this HR woman. And she actually hates Elizabeth because her boyfriend at one time was attracted to Elizabeth. So, you know, the jealousy is like rampant in the office. <laughs> and he tells her that... She can no longer bring the dog in. And Elizabeth is like, um, I can't really come in without the dog. I need the dog. He was like, you know, look, we made concessions for Calvin because he was really important to us. We're not doing yeah. that for you. Yeah. You can no longer ride his coattails. So. Then the HR woman is like, so you didn't get what you wanted out of Calvin Evans, but you'll have another opportunity to find a man and marry maybe an attorney and have some children. And maybe you could stop all this foolishness of trying to She's be a She's really chemist. rude, heartless. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth had to tell her, I'm not trying to get married. I don't want to do all of that. And Elizabeth finds out she's pregnant. And then she is terminated because she's pregnant and I'm married. Mm -hmm. And then there's this whole discussion about, but would the man have been terminated? Mm -hmm. Really interesting. So anyway, after she was terminated, Elizabeth turned her kitchen into a lab and she starts working from home. And then her former colleagues that was always demeaning her, they would come over to her house and ask for input on their projects. And she was like, mm -hmm. bet, I'm charging. And she would um, up the price based on how they acted. So if they said <laughs> something slick about Calvin, the price goes up. They say something about her mm -hmm. having a baby, the price goes even higher. They get in charge. So listen, she's now pregnant. She's at home doing some home rowing and she's working in a lab doing her research. The former colleagues are coming in asking for um, input, but she don't really have like major income coming in. Mm -hmm. She ain't really been to the doctor. And then when she finally goes, she goes to um, this obstetrician that was the a rowing buddy of Calvin. And he's mm -hmm. a very um, understanding man. And she's like, she gets compassion when she deals with him. 
versus dealing with any other man. So, um, and he also wanted her to come roll with them after she had birthed that baby and had a year off. So after, He's encouraging her to pursue her passions, mm-hmm. even despite her grief and her the addition to her family. Yeah. So after Elizabeth birthed a new baby, she headed home like within 24 hours because she wanted to go check on 630. She was supposed to stay in for three days. But the doctor was like the rowing or erging, they call it because it was at home or excuse me, out inside. The erging has really helped you to maintain a level of health and fitness that makes it all okay. Mm-hmm. So after being home for a few days, one of the college leagues stopped by and he wants help with some work, but he also brings a pacifier. And that was like breathtaking. That was like really wonderful because the baby was always crying. Always. And what was the naming story with that car? Do you remember that? The naming story? Yeah. The baby was always crying. So they was trying to come up with a name and she was like mad. mad. I'm mad. Yeah. She was <laughs> I'm mad, mad about the baby. I'm just mad. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they, they named up. the baby mad. Yeah. Yeah. Madeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pacifier. And so she did this work for the colleague. She falls asleep and she is like knocked out, head slumped over. You don't know if she's dead <laughs> or alive. But the next door, the neighbor across the street could hear the baby crying <laughs> from across the street. So she mm-hmm. stops by and she finds Elizabeth laid out like that. And she's knock on the door and come in and um, offers to help. Now, this is like adult communication. Somebody who's a parent had experience raising several children. And this is, is helpful to Elizabeth. Um, and Mrs. Sloan was ready to help Elizabeth. She's like, be looking out the window <laughs> waiting for a phone call she was like call me if you need me please like really please call me I'm and just... she wants to get out of her own house mm-hmm. she don't love being with her husband all day right and so she's like eager to hear from her but Elizabeth mm-hmm. is hesitant to make the call and Mrs. Sloan um, finally makes a call Eventually, Mrs. Sloan would be Madeline's babysitter while Elizabeth would go rowing and do school and work and all that stuff. Uh, Elizabeth sent Mad to school at an early age. She, like, changed her birth certificate and sent her to school because she wanted her to get, like she's showing signs of being an intelligent child and she wants her to be stimulated intellectually. Um, and so instead of just waiting until she turned five, she got her into school. It was also a way um, to have somewhere to send her. <laughs> also that. You know? But I thought she sent yeah. her because she um, because she was so intelligent. She needed to get those basic skills like tire shoes and just like everyday things that she wasn't getting. Oh, maybe. That was another reason, I think. Well, anyway, um, she's determined to get her job back. Well, get a job 
because at this point she's at risk of losing the housing that she has because she doesn't have income coming in. And it turns out she goes back to Hastings and he's like excited to see her because a big donor wanted to see the type of work that she did, that she produced, and no one else could do it or speak to it. So he needed her to come in work. And when she returned to work, he didn't return her as a chemist. He returned her as a lab tech. Yeah, this is her old boss, not um, Hastings like a person. Hastings is the company. And so he was relieved to have her back, but he was also going to show her who's boss by just mm-hmm. making her a lab tech and making her do all the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he didn't. And then he cut her pay big time. Like we barely have enough to pay you. Lies. <laughs> yeah. And he was always trying to make her feel small, but Donati even told Elizabeth Hastings um, that they would pay for her education and she was like, oh, you're going to put me through PhD school. This is wonderful. He was like, no, um, dictation school. You could use it. Yeah. When you become a secretary yeah. and fulfill your potential. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so always yeah. ready to demean. So the day of her return to work, she ran into Miss um, Frass. Now, that was the HR lady that was really low down and saying mean and nasty things. Um, but she was in the bathroom stall banging and stuff. I was like, what is going on here? Well, she had put in all this commitment and loyalty to the Hastings Institute, the organization that they work for, and they didn't reward her. She did not get promoted for anything. And in fact, a new boy boss put her on an improvement plan. Otherwise, she'd be fired. And the improvement required lose 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. So the women have this revealing conversation. And Miss um, Frask accuses. Elizabeth of being a gold digger and pretending to be a man. Elizabeth doesn't know what she's talking about. And Elizabeth accuses Miss Frask of pandering to men. And finally, they both share this awful secret they've both been holding that because they've been violated um, by advisors at their Uh, universities Universities. Mm -hmm. they've been prevented from excelling in their careers and that was the beginning of them working together the next day Elizabeth asked Miss Frass for um, information about the investor that was funding the project and she gave him some information but she said she'd look for more but a week later when they connected again Miss Frask was fired because she was gaining weight instead of losing. But she offered Elizabeth a peace offering and she for how she treated her when Calvin died. All of Calvin's work boxes um, were all of his work was boxed and sealed. And Miss Frask told Elizabeth where to get them so she could load up her car. And Elizabeth was like, but is this legal? She was like, but do we care? <laughs> so two months after she returned to work at Hastings, Donati then published a paper 
that was complete with Elizabeth's work. The co-contributor was the colleague that kept coming to her office, I mean, to her house to get input. They stolen her work and published it as their own. Mm-hmm. She charged mm-hmm. Denati up and quit that day. Now, let's jump to the TV show. Remember we're talking <laughs> about the TV show, Supper at Six? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> so she's having this conversation with Pine. He's all confused. But anyway, um, Madeline had learned that her mom spoke to Mr. Pine and she told him that Amanda does bring her own lunch. It's just not a normal lunch. So they're still talking about this lunch situation. And one day Mr. Pine calls and he's like, okay, that's all resolved. But I got another request for you. I would like you, not another request. I have a request for you. (laughs) He's like, I want you to host a cooking show. Listen, I want, you have a look that will draw and keep an audience. And, um, well, there are some other things. My boss, I think he's a station manager, but he wants you to wear like skin tight clothing and um, start show cocktails and how to host cocktail parties. And she's like, well, I wouldn't do that. It ain't going to be me. <laughs> exactly. She's like, I would mm-hmm. prefer to wear a lab coat and have some beakers and all the equipment that a chemistry lab would have because I'm a chemist and cooking is chemistry. And he was like, no, sexy wife, sexy mother, the kind of woman every woman wants to be is what you're going to do. Now, how he know what women want to be? <laughs> <laughs> so the first day on the job filming this program, she sees the setup and she's like, that's not right. That's not right. I can't do that. You know, she she didn't even read the cue cards. She hated the kitchen. She didn't do anything Walter Pine suggested. And after the show, Walter fussed at Elizabeth, telling her that she needed to follow the script. She couldn't do whatever she wanted. And this went on week in and week out. She never do what they said. (laughs) She always did what she wanted to do. There were threats of removing the show every week, but... They were getting calls, not complaints about the show. People was like, so what was she talking about when she said H2O or CO23 (laughs) and CO? Yeah. What was she saying? Oh, vinegar. Okay. Yeah. So people were paying (laughs) attention. (laughs) Yeah. Salt. Yeah. (laughs) People were paying attention um, to the show. And Walter, Mr. Pine, Amanda's father was like, you know, we didn't really get cause on our other show this is interesting so they were giving her a six-month trial give her a try see what she does we'll just keep working on her whittle away at her till she'll put on one of these skin tight dresses and make the cocktails like the way we want to um she didn't do that (laughs) and then when the six-month trial was up they were like Oh, well, 
we'll keep you on, but only if you change. And she still didn't change. <laughs> she didn't change, y'all. And they were, Walter's boss kept saying, look, the complaints are coming in weekly. We do not like her. Nobody likes her and she has to change. Otherwise, we got to let this show go. It still didn't happen, y'all. Okay, <laughs> okay, so one time the show ended early. And to the dismay of Walter, Elizabeth decided she wanted to take questions. One woman um, said, oh, I love you. You know, love you, love your show, that kind of thing. Um, and Elizabeth had encouraged the woman. She was like having a conversation with this woman. She was like, well, what do you like? What do you do? And she's like, oh, I really like scientific stuff. She was talking about um, an injury or I think, no, I think something that she was feeling and she explained it in medical terminology. And so Elizabeth was like, are you in the medical field? She's like, no, I'm just a housewife. She's like, you're never just a housewife. And the woman said, well, she asked her. Elizabeth asked the woman, well, what did you do? aspire to when you were a child and she's like um a brain surgeon or something like that and elizabeth encouraged that woman to go get her dream job oh she wanted to be an open heart surgeon and um they don't like that nobody likes that nobody wants women to be successful so no that's not a good look for the show another reason another chit on her list of things to get rid of her for so there was this one show, though, where a soup company was sponsoring the show. And Elizabeth held up the soup and said, this is full of chemicals <laughs> and it will kill you the longer you eat it. <laughs> Walter was so fed up with uh, Elizabeth that he got up from his chair, walked straight <laughs> to his car and drove home. He was over it. <laughs> The station manager, however, asked to see Elizabeth and the makeup artist passed that message on. And she was like, um, don't go to see the station manager alone. I'll go with you. Um, she was like, no, no, it'll be fine. I'll, I can handle it. No problem. And she's like, well, at least call Walter and tell him because Walter doesn't want any of us to go meet with him alone. His, Elizabeth is like, no, don't worry about it. And she insists it's not going to be a big deal. So she heads to the office, meets the station manager. He's sitting in there. He, got, he has all the TV shows on the screen, so it's really loud. And she's like, he's like, do you know who I am? Yeah, yeah, you're so-and-so. But she really can't hear him because it's so loud in there. So she goes to try to turn down the the volume. He's like, don't touch my stuff. So he's doing a lot of yelling. He's really kind of unhinged here. And she is really like low-key. She don't care nothing about what he's saying. She's <laughs> just like, ah, I'm not interested, but what do you want? I know who you are, but should I know something else? 
Are you not who you say you are? <laughs> what is this? You, you call me here to ask me who you are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you want, actually? It, yeah. That's what do you want? Talking to him. Mm-hmm. So he waves these photos in her, in her face. He's like, do you know what these are? These are ad sales and figures and Nelson ratings and audience review mm-hmm. questionnaires. And she's like, oh, I'd love to look at those. I, yeah, I just would love to see what they say. You wouldn't about understand me. them with your tiny woman mind. That's what he said to her. Um, so as Elizabeth sat there, she did not respond to his aggressive behavior. He was like, I'm sick of you not re- reacting. I'm not used to people behaving like this and you frustrated me. So you fired. <laughs> and everybody who ever helped you on this show, they fired too. I'm sick of it. And Elizabeth, She like, said, you called me in here to ask me who you are and to fire everyone <laughs> um, that works for you? That's silly. So just repeating his behavior back to him is enraging him because it's nonsensical what he's doing. It's next level. It's next level. And she is so <laughs> calm. She is so calm. He gets up, <laughs> turns off the TVs. And he comes, he fixes himself a drink, lights himself a cigarette. And he's like, listen, lady, you obviously don't know who I am. And you know what? I need to show you. I should have did this a long time ago. And of course, he's threatening her with sexual assault. And she tells him, don't you dare get any closer, sir. And he did not (laughs) listen. And she pulls out a 14-inch chef's knife, and he faints. (laughs) He has a heart attack. (laughs) But Elizabeth is nice. She caught the ambulance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They took him, and he's in the hospital for three weeks. And that he'll be. <laughs> they send him a car. <laughs> that he'll be in bed for over a year. So Walter is now going to take the lead. And she, interim. Yeah, interim. And she explained what happened to Walter. He's like, get to the point, get to the point. It just, I mean, why would you go in there by yourself? And did something happen? He has so many questions about. What's going on? Her safety. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and he's very concerned because he knows what kind of man he is. And she tells the him manager he is. fired mm-hmm. everybody. And she's like And Walter's like, no, he didn't, because this is the most successful show on the station. And she's like, really? Because he had a lot of reports saying we a failure. And Walter's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. We're syndicated. <laughs> We're yeah. making crazy money. Right. Elizabeth tells <laughs> Walter that the show is syndicated. We have lots of sponsorship opportunities. Just stop it. He's really feeding you a load of stuff because he didn't like the way I look. Oh, that's right. Because Elizabeth looked at the papers while the ambulance were coming. While waiting for the ambulance. (laughs) She looked at the reports Mm -hmm. and yeah, saw how successful the show is. Yeah. Yeah. So Walter's been fed the lie and Elizabeth uh, uh, relieves him of those. Yeah. Those lies. Yeah. I told everyone on the show, no, I think it's safe to say the entire building knows by now. No, he repeated, planting his palms to his forehead. Elizabeth, 
What were you thinking? Don't you know how being fired works? Step one, never tell anyone the truth. Claim you won the lottery, inherited a cattle ranch in Wyoming, got a huge offer in New York, that sort of thing. Step two, drink to excess until you figure out what to do. It's like you're not familiar with TV's tribal ways. Elizabeth took another sip of coffee. Do you want to hear what happened or not? There's more? He said anxiously, what, he's going to repossess our cars too? She looked at him straight on, her normally lineless forehead slightly furrowed, and just like that, his attention turned from himself to her. He felt uneasy. He'd completely overlooked the most critical component of her meeting with Phil. She'd met with him alone. Tell me, he said, feeling as if he might vomit. Please, tell me. Were most men like Phil? In Walker's opinion, no. But did most men do anything about men like Phil, himself included? No. Sure, maybe that seemed shameful or cowardly, but honestly, what could anyone actually do? You didn't pick a fight with a man like Phil. To avoid these outcomes, you simply did what you were told. Everyone knew it and everyone did it. But Elizabeth wasn't everyone. He put a trembling hand to his forehead, hating every bone in his spineless body. Did he try something? Did you have to fight him off? He whispered. She sat up in her chair, the light of her makeup mirror providing an extra aura of fortitude. He studied her face with fear, thinking this was probably the same way Joan of Arc looked right before they lit the match. He tried. <sighs> Walker shouted, crashing the Dixie cup in one hand. No. Walter relaxed. He failed. Walter hesitated. Because of the heart attack, he said, relieved. Of course. What uncanny timing. The heart attack. She looked at him quizzically, then reached down into her bag, the same bag she'd taken to Phil's office the previous night. I wouldn't thank the Lord, she said, pulling that same 14-inch chef's knife out of her bag. He gasped. Like most cooks, Elizabeth insisted on using her own knives. She brought them in each morning and took them home each evening. Everyone knew this. Everyone except Phil. I didn't touch him, she explained. He just killed over. I called an ambulance, but you know how traffic is that time of day. Took forever. So while I waited, I made good use of my time. Here, take a look. She handed him the folders Love and Small had waved at her syndication offers she said as he registered obvious surprise at the contents did you know that we've been syndicated in the state of new york for the last three months also some interesting new sponsorship offers despite what phil told you sponsors are falling all over themselves to be part of our show like this one tapping an ad for the rca victor company walter kept his eyes down staring at the stack he motioned for Elizabeth to hand him her coffee cup. And when she did, he downed it. Sorry, he finally managed. It's just that it's all so overwhelming. She glanced impatiently at the wall clock. I can't believe we're fired, he continued. I mean, we have a hit show on our hands and we're fired. Elizabeth looked at him with concern. No, Walter, she said slowly. We're not fired. We're in charge. So the show goes on. Walter makes his, um, he tries to, it's kind of like, 
recover from the presence of the station manager because he was really um, a negative influence. And also he was enabling him. And then, Kari, you mentioned something earlier about what the people did. (laughs) Yeah, so the office sends a card to the boss while he's in the hospital. And Walter looks at the card and it's like, die yesterday. (laughs) I hate your guts. Um, And so Walter starts thinking, why did I allow this man to work here? Yes, he was my boss, but I knew what was going on. So Walter signs the card. I hope you never recover. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they send it to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes him think, like, what kind of legacy am I leaving uh, with the people around me? Yeah. So the show goes on. Um, Walter is now the acting person in charge. Elizabeth (laughs) continues to draw attention of sponsors. Um, She's making some comments that they're not happy with. Uh, She starts receiving death threats. Um. People are, she even voiced that she doesn't believe in God and people don't like that at all. At all. (laughs) So she's really, but she's still really popular. And she wants to make a name for herself as a chemist through the show. So she wants to be on chemistry today. I think that's what the magazine was called. Um, It's the same magazine that Calvin had been on. She wants to be recognized for her work because she is doing intelligent work in her field, but she's not being allowed one to do it. And then the avenue in which she is doing it is not recognized by the industry that she wants to recognize her. So at some point, the somebody wants to write an article. They want her to be on their page. And she declines a lot of them, but she eventually accepts. I think it's Life magazine. Um, she eventually accepts begrudgingly um, to do a re uh, to do an article for Life magazine. She accepts being an interviewee that's for their publication. That's that that right there. <laughs> In any event, that happens. She accepts. She kind of gets to know the interviewer and they have a um understanding and he decides that he wants to tell her story. And he Yeah, he wants to write this profile from an honest place to show her brilliance, not just paint her as a very luscious Lexi, but to show her mind and everything she's been through. Yeah. But does that happen? No. Why? Because when he submits the article to his superiors, they're like, nope, that's not going to work. We're going to say luscious Lizzie. We're going to say she's attractive, not intelligent. Just again, attack. We're going to interview people from Hastings that hated her. Yeah. So that they can say disparaging things about her. Yeah. So. Yeah. When she got. To finally tell her story, the journalist wrote a positive article, but the misogyny reared its ugly head and changed the piece. 
And that's the piece I mentioned at the beginning. Why will eat whatever she dishes out where she was labeled a luscious Lizzie. And I'm going to wrap it up here because not long after that, Elizabeth would decide to leave the show and focus on her career in chemistry. Kari, is there anything you would like to add to this story about what we talked about? Yeah, to me, the predominant line throughout the book is this benefactor that keeps following first Calvin and then Lizzie um, through their careers, through their lives and careers. Uh, We realize at the end who that benefactor is and how they've been connected to the protagonist all along. Um, The daughter also plays a huge part in this book. Uh, She carries the story and keeps it moving forward as she meets new people in her life, including a priest that she meets at a library. Uh, They become friends um, and they actually find out a secret about her father's background that he didn't even know, that Calvin didn't even know while he was alive. So there are a lot of tracks in this book um, that are very easy to follow. Um, But yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) well let's take a quick break all right sounds good and we're back so Kari what's your final verdict and would you recommend this book There are parts of this book that are very entertaining where I really fall in love with the people that are being described. With Elizabeth, I felt her highs and lows along with her. Uh, When her and Calvin meet and they form a relationship, the book takes its time with that relationship so that it's believable, digestible, and you fall in love with them as a couple. Um, When Calvin is killed, it really is heartbreaking when he dies. Uh, The grief that um, Elizabeth goes through and then all of the stressors at her job um, really take the reader through a roller coaster of changes and that's fun however I did find this book to be extremely preachy Um, I think I told you it felt like an atheist manifesto wrapped in a romance novel (laughs) Um, I mean imagine uh, imagine reading a book and it says um, for example the beautiful design and creation points to an intelligent creator therefore God must exist that line alone in a novel that isn't about theology um, might be odd, but OK. But if the book then says um, and then Calvin wrapped his arm around her and said, don't you want to get married? And she said, of course, I want to get married because marriage is a loving relationship created by God. And I then you like, hold on a second. <laughs> what is this that I'm reading? And then if it's three or four more statements about how amazing God is, now I'm questioning, is this a religious book? Because <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's in line with my beliefs. Like, I believe in God. So for this book to be um, very atheist, um, for the protagonist to be def- um for the protagonist to be atheist is not a problem for me. Uh, what is a problem is how strongly those protagonists are trying to convince the reader that they're atheists because they're intelligent. It's like our protagonist knows everything and so does her preteen daughter. Why? Because they're atheists and they love to read and are female. Mm. 
I just felt like it was pushing its agenda on me at certain points. I'm fine with the protagonist not having her own beliefs that differ from mine. Sure. Um, But even if her beliefs aligned with mine, I don't want to hear about her beliefs throughout the book. I really don't. Unless they're leading to her action. The book. If they're leading to her action, then you're you're giving me context. And that makes sense. But to me, these beliefs were presented without need and they were presented repeatedly. So I could have left that. And in fact, in the end, it kind of overshadowed the work to me. And then at the end of the book, um, I didn't feel like a closed circle had happened because I had kind of gotten off the ride a little early. So um, and not just because it felt preachy to me, but I also um, felt like the preachiness um, overshadowed the plight of these characters. And that's where my attention should have been. It should have been on who are Calvin's parents? Who is this preacher? There's even a point in the book where the preacher um, or pastor, I don't know, priest and the daughter are forming a very beautiful relationship um, and they tell each other a secret and his secret is he doesn't believe in God and the daughter's like well that's actually not so bad and her secret is my dog knows like 500 words (laughs) (laughs) okay what do I do with this I didn't feel like those themes were well presented or presented in an appropriate way for this story. So would I recommend it? No. Did I enjoy reading it? Parts of it. Um, and then toward the end, it kind of lost my interest. And even retalking about the book now, um, I'm not excited to do so. Mm. So, yeah. So I guess that's it. In the moment, I enjoyed reading a lot of it. Um, and in the end, I probably would not recommend it because this isn't a story I fell in love with. What about you? Would you recommend this book? What did you think? So I, I have a lot of agreement with you on that because it it really did like stream um, some thoughts like all the way through. And it's like, but what does that have to do with anything? And I'm like, why do they keep why is this the main focus when the story is really about the couple and their science career, but then it strays away and the TV? I did feel like the story was really about Elizabeth's um, path to finding her fulfillment in her in her field of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like everything from beginning to end, that's where that's where my attention should have been. Our attention. Even in her talking about through the TV show, a lot of stuff was inserted and I felt like it was unnecessary. But I guess that that has to do with the time period. I guess the whole time period got me messed up because the misogyny (laughs) throughout the book is just awful. And it's, um, it's a time period. It's a period piece, essentially, right? So it's this period of time where misogyny is extremely prevalent. Not that it's that far gone now, but it's extremely yeah, I mean, to be prevalent. Clear, I don't feel like it's a period. I don't feel like it's a period piece because those type of environments still exist today, even in this country, which we were remi- reminded of recently uh, with the Harvey Weinstein's case and Bill Cosby. I mean, a lot of women are working in environments where they don't feel safe and where they're threatened with sexual assault. And where they're dismissed and demeaned. Yes, that's true. But this time period 
is um, specifically very inundated with that. And while we see it today, we don't see it as commonplace as it is. And so that was hard for me to read the many instances of assault in the book. Um, And that's, that's fine. That's how the book was written. That was the story. I enjoyed the story about Calvin and Elizabeth, that line story. I loved learning about the chemistry and hearing that. And I appreciated the part when he died. That was really, that was really the most touching part in the book, really. I I really um, enjoyed that. So I, (laughs) okay. It was. It was okay. so heartbreaking. Yeah, you enjoyed it, though. I did. Okay. It was very heartbreaking and well-written. I was so moved. No, I got you. Anyway. <laughs> uh, it was. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it, any of it. 630's thoughts. Heartbreaking. Yeah, so I like hearing the different narrations come in. also like that piece of it. I always like to hear are the characters narration they're sharing their own thoughts I like how people when authors write like that so I appreciated that but there are several things in the book that I felt like I could not recommend this book for but I did enjoy I did enjoy the story okay well thank you what are we reading next week Alexis Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany D. Jackson Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Lit Society this week. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read read something. something.